Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you folks, uh, many of you in person. I see moving images, which is always a cool thing. And uh, for you other folks that are there, it's good to be able to uh, join together as God's family, his brothers, sisters. And we're coming from many places, but with one objective, and that's to meet the Lord in a, uh, a new and a fresh way this morning through his word. So let's take a minute, stretch the body. That's always a good thing to loosen you up and uh, <clears throat> lift your hands to the good Lord. And let's take a minute. And let's pray, and we can jump it. <clears throat> Father, we just want to thank you today for uh, a brand new day, a new start. And we thank you, Lord, uh, that we can meet you first thing. We thank you that the, you are the source of our life, Lord, whether it's the next breath we have physically or whether it's spiritually, Lord, we need you every moment, every hour. And we thank you for your word, Lord. We pray, uh, Holy Spirit, you inspired this book many years ago. And we pray, breathe upon it afresh. Make it living. Uh, make it applicable to our lives. And I pray for each one, Lord, that you would just highlight uh, the portion of Joshua 11 that really you want to drive home to us personally today. So, Lord, we give you the time and we come with an expectant spirit to meet you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Joshua 11. <clears throat> then it came about when Jabab, king of Hazar, heard of it, that he sent to Jobab, king of Madam, and to the king of Shimron, and the king of Asherah, and to the kings who were of the north in the hill country, and in the Arabah, south of Shinnamnoth, and in the lowland, and in the heights of Dor, on the west, and to the Canaanite on the east and on the west, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Jebusite, and the hill country, and the Hivite, at the foot of Hermon, in the land of Mitzvah. Interesting names. Uh, interesting names. And they came out, and they all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. So all these kings, having agreed to meet, came and encamped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, don't be afraid because of them, for tomorrow at this time I'll deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all the people war with him came upon them suddenly at the waters of Merom and attacked them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, so that they defeated them and pursued them as far as Great Sidon and Misrop Maim in the valley of Mitzvah to the east. And they struck them until no survivor was left to them. And Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung the horses 
and burned the chariots with fire. Then Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor and struck its king with the sword, for Hazor formerly was head of all these kingdoms. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they struck every person who was with it uh, with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was no one left who breathed, and he burned Hazor with fire. And Joshua captured all the cities of these kings and all their kings, and he struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed them, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. However, Israel did not burn any cities that stood on their mounds except Hazor alone, which Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the cattle and the sons of Israel took as their plunder. But they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they destroyed them. They left no one who breathed. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. He let nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Then Joshua took all the land, the hill country, and the Nebgah, and the land of Goshen, and the lowland, the Arabah, the hill country of Israel, and its lowland, from Mount Halak that rises towards Seir, even as far as Balgad and the valley of Lebanon, at the foot of Mount Meherim. And he captured all their kings and struck them down and put them to death. Joshua waged war a long time with all these kings. There was not a city which made peace with the sons of Israel, except the Hivites living in Gibeon. They took them all in battle. For it was the Lord to harden their hearts to meet Israel in battle in order that he might utterly destroy them, that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then Joshua came at the time and he cut off the Anakim from the hill country. From Hebron, from Dereb, and from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. There was no Anakim left in the land of the sons of Israel, only in Gaza and Gath, and in Ashad some remained. So Joshua took the whole land, according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel, according to their divisions by their tribes. Thus, the land had rest from war. Okay, <clears throat> Joshua 11, let's, let's look at it. As I was uh, studying it myself, basically, uh, there were five key points uh, that really came to me. Uh, the first one was, uh, we were all going to face insurmountable problems. Okay, and you may be having one of those right now in your life, something that just seems way, way bigger than you can handle. So we're all going to face these. Uh, second thing, it's important to hear from God. Three, uh, it's important to obey. Uh, we've been saying this one over and over and over and over again. Number four, God wants to defeat our enemies. And number five, he wants us uh, to live in his rest. So I'd like us to look at these sections and uh, to see what they can say to us right now where we live. Okay, number one, uh, we all face insurmountable problems at different times of our life, okay? Uh, if you look at Joshua 11, right in the beginning, then it came about when Jacob, king of Hazar, heard of it. 
Now, what's the it? Uh, the it is up in chapter 10 and verse 42. And Joshua captured all these kings and their lands at one time because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. So Joshua, as we saw back away, he overcame Jericho. But after that, he just he, he conquers one city after another, after another, and another, all because of God's ability and God's giving him the strength to do that. So word's getting out. Um, you know, rumors go out real quick. And word's getting out to these other uh, cities that have not yet been conquered. And they're hearing that, in a sense, Joshua and the Israelites are bulldozing these other areas, these other kings. So they decide, okay, what we're going to do, we're going to get a conspiracy and get a lot of these forces together. We're going to, if, if Joshua's wiping out all these cities and kings, then the kings that are remaining are saying, we better get together as a group because we have a better chance to fight at defeating uh, Joshua and Israel together than individually. So <clears throat> when they hear about this, uh, then it says that he said to Joab, king of Madam, and to the king of Shiram, and to the king of Asherah, they're all gathering together, uh, and he's sending word to these kings. It says to the kings who were of the north in the hill country, the Arabah, the south of Chinnerah, and the lowland, and the heights of Dor. All these people are jumping on board, okay, to the Canaanites on the east and on the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, and the Jebusite on the hill country, the Hivite at the foot of Hermon and the land of Mitzvah. And they came out, and they and all their armies with them. So they, all these, these kings are gathering together in mass to get ready to wipe out Joshua and Israel. It's a big group. Look at what it says here in four. As many people as the sand that is on the seashore with very many horses and chariots. So all these kings, having agreed to meet, came and encamped together at the waters of Merab to fight against Israel. This, this is a big deal. I would think it'd be rather scary and intimidating to Joshua and the Israelites seeing all these countries coming together, getting ready to, in a sense, wipe out the Israelites. So that's the scene. Uh, and it reminds me of another scene. Uh, I'm going to pull this one up. Um, you might want to jot it down. It's 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20. And uh, I'm going to read some verses here because it's, a, it's almost identical to what we're seeing here, except this is further on in the life of Israel and specifically in Judah. Now it says this, now it came about after this, that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Munanites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. And some came and reported to Jehoshaphat saying, get this, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazarah and in Gedi. So Jehoshaphat is facing the exact issue, this overwhelming crowd that's going to try to wipe them out. What does Jehoshaphat do? Now, Jehoshaphat was afraid. Okay, What do you do when you're afraid? Or what should you do when you're afraid? And Joseph was afraid, and he turned his attention to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed the fast throughout all Judah. 
So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the help of the Lord. So they know uh, that this is a big deal. And uh, as they come, Joshua, I mean, I'm sorry, Joshua, Jehoshaphat begins to pray. And he says this, Oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we are powerless before the great multitude are coming against us. Do, do we know what to do? But our eyes are on you. Big army coming. Jehoshaphat says, God, we're stuck. We're looking to you. Only you, only you can help us. And as they do that, they wait on the Lord. And verse 14, it says, in the midst of the assembly, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jezreel, the son of Zechariah. And he said this, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. So that's exactly what happened. Jehoshaphat said, wow, I'm overwhelmed. God, we got to look to you. God answers back and says, don't worry, I'm going to win the battle for you. And I believe that Joshua probably had those same kind of feelings. We don't know all that came to his mind when these forces are coming against him. But I think he probably would have felt pretty much like Jehoshaphat. So I think that's the first thing we need to realize. Uh that sometimes we face insurmountable problems. They look so big, like these armies did to Joshua and Jehoshaphat. Over almost an overwhelming feeling like, wow, I'm going to be crashed by this tidal wave. I think what we need to learn is when these problems come against us, we need to look to the Lord, away from the problem, look to God, and realize he's going to be bigger than the problem we're facing. And we're gonna look at that a little bit more um, in point four, where God wants to defeat our enemies. But let it be said right in the beginning here, when we face insurmountable problems, get your eyes off the problem, no matter how overwhelming it may be, and fix your eyes on God, who made the heavens and made the earth, and is in control of every situation, and ultimately can give the victory. So that's number one. We're going to have insurmountable problems, but they're not insurmountable to the God we serve. So wherever you are today, if you feel like you've got a problem that is unsolvable and overwhelming, look to the Lord. So number two, it's important to hear God. And by the way, in Jehoshaphat's situation, he said, we don't know what to do, God. Our eyes are on you. And then God spoke to Jehoshaphat and to Judah through a prophet. When they heard the prophet, everything changed. And friends, when we hear God speak to us, everything, everything, everything changes. Notice Joshua is in a tight battle. These kings are against him, but he hears from God. Look at verse 6. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid because of them. This great big army. Don't freak out, Joshua. For tomorrow at this time, I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. 
That changed the whole perspective, I believe, of Joshua and the Israelites. They had heard a word from God. And when we hear a word from God, things change on the inside. I believe um, we begin to be encouraged when we hear God's word. We begin to be strengthened. Uh, I believe when we hear God speak a word to us, faith begins to rise within us and boldness is released. But it all hinges on this idea of hearing God. I think just the other week we talked about the fact that God wants to speak. So important to know that God wants to speak. But today we're doing the other side. Not only does God speak, we've got to have ears to hear that when God speaks, things change. And by the way, um, two things. Number one, don't wait to a crisis to learn to hear God's voice. Let me say that again. Don't wait to a crisis is coming to crash on you before you develop the ability to hear God's voice. Learn to walk with him intimately. Learn to keep your ears open. Get to learn how he speaks. He speaks through the word. We, we saw the other week through circumstances, through people, through the intuitive nudges within our hearts. That's a biggie. But don't wait to crises. Learn to hear him so that when the trials come, your ears are tuned. And may I say this, <clears throat> that it's something I've learned and still I'm learning. When you ask God, okay, what do I do in this insurmountable problem? We can't snap our fingers and say, okay, God, I'm asking. You got 15 minutes to download the answer. When we're trying to hear, I find many times God does not always give an instant answer when I want it. God speaks, and it may take time uh, to wait to hear what he has to say. But I think we need to trust that when we need to hear something from God, we'll hear it at the right time and in the right way and at the right place. So, Joshua is in a crisis. What turns the crisis around is he hears God. Again, if you're facing a crisis, a problem, go to God. God, what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to get through to me? There's got to be a lesson in here. Lord, speak and let me hear. So number three, I think the importance of obedience, and this is like a broken record. Every time I get on here more and more, I keep saying it, and I got to say it again and again and again and again, because the Bible says it again and again and again and again. Obedience is not optional for a Christian. Let me say it again. Obedience is not optional for a Christian, okay? So the Lord says to Joshua, guess what? I'm going to wipe them out. Uh, and guess what? Instead of retreating, instead of freaking out, uh, Joshua says, okay, God, you spoke. I'm going to obey, and we're going forward here. So, verse 7. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came upon them, all these foreign um, nations, suddenly at the waters of Merab, and they attacked them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, so that they defeated them. And pursued them as far as the great Sidon, and that word, and the valley of Mizpah to the east. And they struck them until no survivor was left to them. Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses. He burned their chariots with fire. 
God said, that's what I want you to do, Joshua. If you remember, verse eight, he said, when you defeat them, this is what you're to do. You are to hamstring the horses and burn their chariots with fire. What's he do? He does it. God's very clear uh, as Joshua is going into the promised land, exactly what he's to do with these people that he's conquering. Uh, I think we mentioned this verse the other week. Uh, if you look at Deuteronomy 20, I'm just going to read it here. God gave a command to Moses to pass on to the Israelites, and here's the command. Uh, okay, it would be uh, Deuteronomy 20, 16. Only in the city of these people, so the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, that you shall not leave alive anything that breathes, but you shall utterly destroy them. The Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, as the Lord has commanded you, in order that they may not teach you to do according to all their detestable things, which they have done for their gods, so that you would sin against the Lord your God. So basically... God had commanded the Israelites through Moses, now through Joshua, wipe out these people. Wipe them out completely because they are heathen and they're following foreign gods and foreign practices. And Israel, if you don't wipe them out, they're going to creep into your society. And as they do, a little leaven is going to destroy you as a nation. You've got to wipe them out. It may seem cruel. But if you don't, they're going to influence you, and you're going to go down the tubes. So that's what God said. And if you look at verse 15, uh, I like what Joshua did. Uh, it says here, just as the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. And Joshua did, uh, he left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded him. And basically, um, what, what did he do? Uh, he was totally obedient. Look at 11. And they struck every person who was in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was no one left who breathed, and he burned Hazer with fire. And Joshua captured all the cities of these kings and all their kings, and he struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed them, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded Joshua was told, wipe them out totally. And guess what he did? He did exactly, exactly what he was told to do to the T. He did it. And it says here again on verse 15, he did all, all, A-L-L, all that God commanded. He wasn't partially obedient. He was fully and totally obedient. Now, that reminds me of a story. Uh, and it's the story of King Saul. It's found in 1 Samuel 15. God kind of uses a similar scenario with the first King Saul, and he tells Saul, you got to do something. You got to wipe out a people, and we'll see what happens. Uh, if you want to jot this down, 1 Samuel 15, and it says here, then Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I'll punish Amalek, uh, Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek, utterly destroy all that he has. Do not spare him, but put to death both man, woman, 
child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Okay? That's what he's told to do. Verse 7. So Saul defeated the Amalekites. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. He utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. So he's doing what he's supposed to do. But, but, verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not utterly willing to destroy them, utterly. But everything despised was worthless, they destroyed. So basically, he didn't do exactly what God said. He wiped out some, but he didn't do all that he was told to do. And God's not a happy camper with him. Samuel the prophet goes to Saul, I regret that I made you king, for you have turned back from following me. You have not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed, and he cried out to the Lord. And then the Lord says this, heavy words. First Samuel 15, verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is in, as iniquity and idolatry. And this is what he says to Saul, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. God is basically saying, I'm not playing games, Saul, when I'm telling you to do something. If I tell you to do something, I want to carry it out to the letter. And Saul gave some obedience, but not total obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. In fact, uh, the word the Lord uses here, it's rebellion. This is heavy stuff. This is heavy stuff. Um, on the flip side, after Saul, God calls David to be king. Acts 13, 22, here's what we hear of David. God said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Well, you know what? We know David blew it. He committed adultery. He committed murder. But God in the New Testament says, no, yeah, he sinned, but he was a man after, after my own heart. God's saying, basically, when I looked at David's heart, his basic aim, even though he gave into sin, it was overcome by sin, his basic aim was to totally do what God asked him to do. Okay? That was the bottom line for David. God, if you said it, my aim is to do it. Friends, this, this, I can't tell you how important this is. And I'm going to throw a challenge to you that I have to put out to me about this idea of obedience. It is not a, a, a trifle matter with the Lord. And because of that, I have to ask myself a question and you. Number one, is the Lord telling you to do something and you're just not doing it? I have to ask myself that question. We got to be willing to be honest with ourselves. Is God saying to you, do something? And we may be saying, no, I'm not ready to do it, Lord. Uh, this scares me, Lord. I'm lazy. I don't want to do it. Uh, Lord, I don't know. And we dilly-dally. So the question is, is God saying something to you or I that we're just not willing to do? We need to own up to that and deal with it and repent of it. I could flip that and say, is God saying, stop doing something that you're doing? I don't want you doing that. And we find an excuse. Well, God, you know, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I, I'll get to it someday, dot, 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 whatever. So it's God saying to us, hey, 
you're doing something, I'm not happy. His conscience is striving in us. So we had to make a decision. And, you know, it's a, it's just plain straight. What can I say? And I got to say it to me too. Obedience is absolutely important. If we want to fully experience God's blessing in this life and not experience some of the curses, we have to be willing to follow God, not part of the way, but all the way and seek to obey him. So, 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 so important. Okay, that was three. Number four, <clears throat> God wants to defeat our enemies. First Samuel 15 again. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. Back into Joshua, not Samuel. Okay, uh, back to Joshua. Okay, let me get back to him. Joshua 11. So if you look at Joshua 11, the fourth point is God wants to defeat our enemies. That's verse 23. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Thus, the land had rest from war. <clears throat> Joshua took the whole land. That's pretty cool. He's a, you know, city upon city upon city upon city. He's going through the promised land, defeating the enemies. And it says here, he took the whole land. Um, and basically, that looks, uh, I think, basically, verse 17, it kind of plays that out. From Mount Halak that rises towards Seir, even as far as Balgad in the Valley of Lebanon, at the foot of Mount Hermon, he, Joshua, captured all their kings. He struck them down, and he put them to death. Okay? So Joshua defeats these kings. He defeats these foreigners that are against the Lord. And I, I want to twist that around and say Joshua defeated all the enemies there. But God wants to defeat the enemies that are in your life and mine. Let me say it again. God wants to defeat the enemies that are in your life and mine. And the enemies I'm talking about are not external enemies out there, like these Hivites, Jebusites, all that. No, the enemies I'm talking about is in the inside. I believe God gave Joshua the ability to win. Uh, and he said to them, uh, basically, in 11.6 of Joshua, I'm going to deliver you. So I believe God wants to deliver us from enemies. What are some of the enemies? Uh, I believe he wants to deliver us from depression and from anxiety for fear of the future. I believe he wants to deliver us from bitterness. He wants to deliver us from past wounds that we picked up over the years. I believe he wants to deliver us from bondages that seem to be holding us tight that we can't seem to break free of. I believe he wants to deliver us from loneliness. He wants to deliver us from broken hearts. And I believe in many cases, he wants to deliver us from sickness, disease, and infirmities. I don't know what your enemies are today. Okay? You know what they are. God knows what the enemies are that you're battling that are not external, but these internal enemies that seem to be defeating us and, and knocking us down. I think we need to realize when we've made a commitment to Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, and we mean it, 
and he is Lord, then I think we need to realize that it's very clear, the Bible's clear in 1 John, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. In other words, we have a greater one within us. Who's that? The Holy Spirit that's bigger than anxiety, depression, bondages, loneliness, broken heart. He is bigger than those. And I believe that he wants to deliver us from these things. But let me just say, I believe he wants to do it, which is many times different. First, not only in his time frame, the appropriate place. So God will bring deliverance, but I think we have to be able to walk it out. Uh, and how he plays that out is between him uh, and then our ability to cooperate with him. So that's it. God wants to defeat our enemies. And last, God wants us to walk in his rest. And I underline his. At the end of 11, <clears throat> thus the land had rest from war. Okay. Then the land had rest from war. I think many times we feel like we're in a war. We started out with that. We feel there's insurmountable, these big problems that are coming against us. We feel the war of what I just talked about, depression, anxiety, loneliness, all these things. And we seem to be agitated on the inside, agitated, frustrated, striving, use whatever word it is. It's just like we are uptight and upset. And I believe the way God wanted to give rest to the Israelites in the land, God wants to give rest to us in our souls on the inside. I would encourage you. I love these two verses, uh, not verses, actually, two chapters, Hebrews chapter three and four. Read them and read them over and over. We talked the other week about meditation, not just getting them intellectually in your brain, but read these so that they get from the brain and they begin to drop down into the heart that you allow the Holy Spirit uh, to take the words and make them alive in you. God wants us to walk in a state of rest. And that's a challenge I got to ask myself today or any day. Am I walking in a state of rest or am I striving? Am I frustrated? Am I upset? We get out of God's rest. And God says, no, no, I want you to live in my rest. Let me just give you two verses here. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, you might want to write it down. Here's a promise that God gives. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So if you can picture, if you've had a Sabbath day and you're just sitting back and resting uh, and the other day I did that, I was just sitting out on the deck. It was a beautiful day. The weather was perfect. And I'm just sitting there and rest. No turmoil, no distress, just plain enjoying the day. I was in a state of rest inside. And it says, here's the promise. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And it says, it's interesting, the verse before it, eight, for if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. Joshua gave them rest in an external land. God says, I want to give you a rest inside. How do you get the rest? There you go. Big question. And that answer, I believe, is in chapter four, verse three. For we who have believed 
enter that rest. How do we enter rest? For we who have believed enter that rest. What I think God is saying is, trust me. Like a little child, trust me. I can handle every facet of your life if you'll let me. Put your life into my care and trust me. It kind of gets back to me to the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's rest, right? Isn't it? The question is, do we know the shepherd? Do we know him just intellectually or we build a relationship with the Lord where he is the ultimate shepherd and we know him as a shepherd and a good shepherd takes care of his sheep. And if he takes care of his sheep, the sheep are not all wound up and running around crazy. They, they're, they lay down in green pastures and besides still water. Why? Because they know the shepherd's going to take care of them. And I believe God wants us to walk in that rest. So that would be a, a prayer I would, would throw up and, and ask the question. I got to ask myself the question. Am I walking in rest? Second question is, if I'm not, why? So if, I, if God says I've given you rest and I'm not, well, what's, what's the problem here? Why am I not in rest? Maybe I'm moving so quickly then I can't even hear what he's saying because I'm jumping around like a crazy person. Maybe I'm not at rest because I'm carrying all my cares on my shoulder and I'm being overwhelmed. Instead of the Bible says in first Peter, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Maybe I'm not walking in rest because there's areas of disobedience. We talked about that before. And if I'm not in obedience, there's not going to be rest. But I guess I would disclose with that. Where are you at in regards to this rest thing? Are you walking in his rest? God wants you to walk in this supernatural sense of his presence and peace. Ask yourself, am I? If I'm not, why? And then talk to the Lord about, okay, Lord, something's out of whack here. Show me what it is so that I can get back in rest. So I know you can handle the problems that are coming at me, no matter how big they are, that you're willing to defeat the enemies that are inside of me. Lord, help me trust. And then the other word, help me, Lord, to obey. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Joshua 11. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, as, as we take time to think about this chapter, as we take time to meditate upon it, think about it. We thank you, Lord. There's little gems that they can come to the surface. So, Lord, whatever big battles uh, my brothers or sisters may be fighting today, Lord, help them, Lord, to know you're bigger than the battle, uh, that you're bigger, uh, that you can bring deliverance from things that are within us, Lord, that you can defeat the internal enemies that, that are at war in us. Lord, help us to be able to trust you and obey, Lord, that we can know that rest, that supernatural rest, not just uh, like um, Joshua, an external rest in the land, but Lord, an internal rest. Help us, Lord, to meditate on Hebrews 3 and 4, to Lord, to these words come alive and we walk in it. 
that we don't just have Christianity as a doctrine in our brain, uh, but Christianity that's real and experiential uh, and that can radically change our lives and those around us. So, Lord, just you spoke to us. Lord, help us now to apply what you've given us in Joshua 11. And we thank you, Lord, and we pray it in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a great day. Walk and rest, brothers and sisters. Have a great day.